your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. From September 2014 to February 2015, there was a significant increase in visits to doctors and in prescriptions for asthma medications in Reykjavik, that's the capital of Iceland. And this was due to a natural event that happened some 250 kilometers away from the capital. What event was that? So we're looking for this natural event in Iceland, 250 kilometers from Reykjavik, that caused an increase in visits to doctors and in prescriptions for asthma medications. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society with a mandate of demystifying science for you guys, uh, the public, and obviously our students as well. Today, I want to give you uh, an update on what you can look forward to next Saturday in Montreal's Nuit Blanche, because our McGill Chemistry Outreach Group is going to play a part in that. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the controversy about uh, people over 65 getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, We'll also address uh, the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I want to tell you a little bit about stinging nettle and uh, uh, about uh, Derek Delgadio and his Broadway show called In and of Itself, which is now available on Netflix. Let me just get started with that one for a moment because it's... uh, still on my mind, having uh, watched this show a couple of days ago. And uh, this is a a very interesting show. I I don't know exactly how to describe it. I mean, it's part magic, part mentalism, part uh, just a uh, one-act performance uh, uh, of theater. But it's very interesting. And the reason I bring it up, because uh, those of you who are interested in in such things uh, should watch this. Uh, because his card manipulation is just phenomenal. But uh, the reason that I I bring this up more is because he does a couple of effects that I can't explain. I mean, mostly I, you know, I I can explain most magic tricks, even though I don't know exactly how they are done. I I know the principle behind them. But he does uh, a couple here that even Penn and Teller, who independently went alone to watch a show in, in L.A., we're not able to to decipher. Uh, so I bring this to your attention. It's Derek Delgadio, and the show is called In and of Itself, and it's available on Netflix. And after you watched it, maybe we can discuss how you think uh, he uh, carried out this, uh, this effect, whereby he apparently reads the minds of uh, 150 people in the, uh, in the audience. It's uh, indeed very interesting. Okay, let me also just remind you of uh, Nuit Blanche. This is an annual event that the city of Montreal organizes. And obviously this year, uh, everything has to be online. And uh, our uh, chemistry outreach group here at McGill is putting together uh, an online show, a video, of course, so you'll be able to see and you can interact. And it's all about the role of chemistry in art. And there'll be demonstrations, there'll be stories, and uh, it 
promises to be very interesting. It happens at 6.30 next Saturday night in English and at 7.30 uh, in, uh, in French. If you want the exact uh, uh, times and how you, how you join information, etc., it's simple enough. You go to our website, which is mcgill.ca slash OSS, and in the top right-hand corner, you will see the information about uh, uh, Nuit Blanche. All right, let me get down to some of the other things that I said I would uh, mention. The uh, uh, controversy about the age 65 business with the uh, AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. Uh, the fact is that there really should not be much of a controversy here. The story that has emerged uh, is that it's not effective for people over 65. And uh, that really came from two sources. One was a German uh, magazine uh, on economics, not a scientific publication, called Handelsblatt. And it claimed the vaccine had only an 8% efficacy in seniors. And then we had uh, French President Macron, uh, who said that uh, France would not be giving the vaccine to over 65s. This is the story that came out a week, about a week ago. Well, the Handelsblatt story referenced an unnamed source for the 8% claim, and this cannot be corroborated in any way. There's nothing in the AstraZeneca trial documents that would uh, support this. And then Macron uh, said that there was not enough evidence to give the uh, vaccine to the over 65 group because there were not enough subjects in this category in the trials to determine efficacy. Well, there weren't as many in that age group as in some of the other trials, uh, but uh, uh, nevertheless, there were enough people there to, to suggest that it is effective. Uh, we'd like to see more people, but uh, the fact is that antibody concentrations were monitored in that age group and were found to increase in response to the vaccine, just like in other age categories. The bottom line is that it's important to get as many people vaccinated as possible, regardless of which vaccine is being used. Furthermore, there, I think there's much too much attention being paid to the numbers, uh, you know, associated with the efficacy. I mean, people are saying, I don't want a vaccine that's only 70%. I want the good one, the 90% one. The fact is that these numbers are, are not as hard as people have been led to uh, believe. The fact is that the total number of subjects in the studies indeed was large, but the number who actually contracted the disease was quite small, meaning that error margins are very significant. Uh, we'll have to wait to see what happens when millions of people are vaccinated. Uh, it's very possible that the results will be quite different from those that are seen in the trials. For now, you have to take the reported numbers with the proverbial grain of salt. For example, Moderna reporting a 94.1% effectiveness. This is, is, is really misleading because it means that we know this to be 94.1 and not 94.3. That, of course, is ridiculous. They should just say something like over 90%. Anyway, let's hope that that number holds true for the population at large. But uh, there's uh, no reason to be concerned when one report says that, you know, one vaccine is somewhat less effective than the other. Uh, these, these numbers uh, really have large potential errors built into them. <clears throat> Important thing is to go out and get whichever vaccine you can get. And pretty soon we'll be able to get the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine here. 
This is of the same type as the AstraZeneca. Uh, it's a, it's a, what is known as a viral vector vaccine. And it uses an adenovirus, which is basically the cold virus, so that you don't have to worry about this being dangerous because, I mean, colds are, are not dangerous. They use the cold virus essentially as a vehicle to, to transport the gene that tells the body to produce the spike protein of the uh, of the coronavirus so that the body can develop antibodies towards it and uh, it it is a, a technique that has been extensively tested um, in an ebola virus uh, vaccine in africa hundreds of thousands of people have have been given this vaccine so uh, the technology is, uh, is certainly well established uh, this is also the same technology that is being used by the, the Russians in the Sputnik uh, vaccine. And uh, there's no reason to, to think that this is in any way an inferior technology to the messenger RNA one. Again, the, the bottom line here, you want to get vaccinated. The best chance we have of uh, getting over this whole COVID-19 business is to... to um, have as many people immune to the virus as, as possible. And there are two ways that that can happen. Either you've gotten over an infection, in which case you have antibodies, or you generate antibodies in response to the vaccine. So we need to, to uh, certainly get out there and, and be vaccinated. And um, uh, it appears to be going quite smoothly in Montreal now. I know that the first couple of days there were some hiccups, but they have uh, worked this out. And again, people are concerned that the Johnson & Johnson is reporting somewhat lower number in terms of efficacy. Again, I don't think that's significant. Uh, it should also be pointed out that the Johnson & Johnson trials came later than the other trials, which means that they probably uh, had people who were injected who already had been exposed to variants of the virus. So the Johnson & Johnson may effectively may be effective against some of these variants as well. And uh, it, it may be that if now Moderna and Pfizer carried out their trials, they would be also at somewhat lower efficacy because of the, of the uh, variants. Uh, believe me that the people who are looking at the effectiveness and the safety of these vaccines in FDA in the US, Health Canada here, are all accomplished people. These are epidemiologists, these are infection disease experts, and these are the ones that you should listen to, not to, not to some blogger out there, uh, and not, not to some uh, people like Joe Mercola, who has a big website who's against everything, uh, but basically doesn't know what he's talking about. So listen to the experts and uh, go out there and, uh, and get your uh, vaccine. All right, let me just repeat the question that I had asked about the naturally occurring event that took place in, in Iceland that sent people to doctors and uh, increased the number of prescriptions for asthma medication. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We're going to check... Uh, uh, traffic is doing out there, you can, of course, call us 514-790-0800, 514-790-0800 with any questions, or, of course, the answer to the question that I asked, and our, our text connection is 514-800. We'll be right back. Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Yeah. 
look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier I have to make a correction. I mentioned that the show in and of itself was on Netflix. It's not. It's on Crave. It's on Crave. So it's by Derek Delgadio. Uh, he's a performer, and the show is called In and of Itself. Very interesting. Uh, those of you who have Crave, take a look, and maybe we, uh, we can discuss this at some time if you have ideas on how he did what he did. <clears throat> I was also mentioning Joe Mercola, who is notorious for having one of the, the worst medical quack uh, sites on the Internet. And he has just received uh, a warning from the FDA, and the agency told Mercola that three of the products he markets with COVID-19 claims, which are liposomal vitamin C, liposomal vitamin D3, and quercetin with terostilbene, are unapproved new drugs and misbranded, and he must cease selling them. Uh, of course, there are no supplements that have been shown to, to treat uh, COVID-19. And uh, so the FDA has challenged him here because he's marketing these substances as, as treatments. Uh, he has numerous other supplements which have uh, various kind of COVID-19 kind of claims. So I hope that FDA really goes after this uh, gentleman. Uh, let's go to Sam online. Hi, Sam. Hi, Dr. Joe. How are you? Okay. What's up? Well, you'd asked a question about a certain event in Iceland. Yes. Well, I have to say that I was actually flying the weekend that that uh, certain event occurred, which was the eruption of the unpronounceable volcano over Iceland. Exactly. Very good. That is exactly what happened. And uh, why did people have to uh, increase their asthma medication? What was well, the... because there were so many particulates in the air that were... Well, more specifically, more specifically, it's one uh, one specific substance in the air that is uh, uh, emitted in large doses from a volcano. Uh, the fumes, the um, well, the, chemically the speaking, one, one um, it's sulfur dioxide. Uh, and uh, if you ever smelled a volcano, uh, these so-called sulfurous fumes, hydrogen sulfide and sulfur dioxide. Sulfur mm -hmm. dioxide, because uh, the sulfur that's present in the ground in, in the volcano reacts with oxygen to form sulfur dioxide. And that that is the odor of a, of a match. And, you know, if, when you inhale that, if you're asthmatic, that can trigger an attack. So that's exactly what happened in, in Iceland. And yes. uh, that, that volcano, of course, uh, uh, wreaked havoc across Europe uh, because of the, all the, the soot and dust uh, in addition it, to the sulfur dioxide it put into the air. It wreaked havoc on my flight. I actually flew all the way over to England and flew all the way back the same evening. Because the they wouldn't let you land? I had a picture of my flight leaving uh, the airport and arriving on the same number. Rather unique situation. Because they wouldn't let you land or what? No, the, it literally erupted right in front of us while we were flying. And the plume went all the way up uh, over 10,000 feet immediately. I was on traveling with another gentleman who was another, on another aircraft who got through, and our flight turned around and came back. That's interesting that, that, that they didn't have to refuel anywhere to do that. 
That, uh, uh, they always carry enough. Thank God they always carry enough fuel to do precisely that. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of fuel for because you were almost in England, right? Well, very close to, I can't yeah. say the precise location, but very close to the actual eruption. Yeah, uh, uh, very no interesting. No time was issued yeah. to airmen to get out of the area as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's not, not the kind of experience that you would uh, care to repeat again, right? The particulates were not very good for aircraft engines. No, they are not. <laughs> they are not. Okay, thanks very much for that story. Okay, so since that uh, question was answered, let me give you another one. Aristotle used goat urine, and Hippocrates recommended pigeon droppings. For what condition? So for what condition did Aristotle use goat urine, and Hippocrates recommend uh, pigeon uh, droppings? If you know the answer to that, you give us a call, 514-790-0800. All right, let me tell you a little bit about stinging nettle. When the ancient Romans conquered Britain, they got a lesson in botany, believe it or not. They learned all about the woad plant, which the native warriors used to color their skin a frightening blue, and they learned the hard way about stinging nettle. Surely any plant that results in a burning skin rash just by touching the leaves leaves a memorable impression. The Romans also found something else in Britain that they had not seen back home, namely an inhospitable, cold, damp climate. Their legs were undoubtedly cold in those little leather skirts the Roman soldiers wore. So they had an idea. Why not rub their legs with a bit of stinging nettle, put up with a rash, and get some warmth? And that was the beginning of the investigation of the use of stinging nettle to treat human misery. Actually, medieval monks used it to increase misery, they flagellated themselves with nettle for penance. Today, if you check out herbal product dealers, you'll learn that stinging nettle taken internally is good for ailments ranging from acne and baldness to night sweats and varicose veins. Lots of claims, no proof. Topical uses have a little more evidence. They range from treatment of arthritis to the treatment of vaginitis. Ooh. Tough to think about that one. Somehow one would not think that applying an irritant substance like stinging nettle in that particular part of the female anatomy would be an attractive proposition. But proponents claim that it is the pain that eventually results in gain. Actually, at least for osteoarthritis, there is some basis for this. In a scientific study of 27 patients who suffered from osteoarthritis at the base of the thumb, stinging nettle afforded some relief. They rubbed the affected area with stinging nettle for 30 seconds a day for a week. Half the patients used nettle with the stinging principle intact. The other half used dried nettle, which no longer irritated the skin. After five weeks, the regimens were switched. The subjects were not told what to expect. The stinging nettle actually helped, the results being best when it caused a wheel. It just may be that chemicals found in the plant most notably histamine, serotonin, or acetylcholine, affect pain receptors. Still, we have far better topical products available for the relief of such pain. Creams containing capsaicin from hot peppers have far more scientific backing. 
Various stinging nettle preparations, particularly freeze-dried tablets, have also been at least partially effective against asthma, allergies such as hay fever, and uh, benign prostate enlargement. It's also mild diuretic and has a mostly undeserved reputation for lowering blood pressure. But we have the usual problem of lack of regulations and lack of standardization, so you can never be sure what you're really getting. In any case, for all of the ailments listed, there are better proven remedies. That doesn't mean that stinging nettle is a completely useless. During World War II, it was used to make an effective green camouflage paint. I don't think I would want to uh, try that on my face, though. All right, we have some colors on the line. Uh, let's try Heidi. Hey, Heidi. Ironic. I was on. I was a flight attendant. I was on the flight 870 to Paris when we flew over, and the pilot thought it was either a ship or a downed aircraft that was south of uh, Reykjavik, the volcano that later on we found out erupted. And the name of the volcano is something like something Frolla. <laughs> but that's ironic. It's funny. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure it, it wasn't so funny to the pilot. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, but we were. We went on to Paris. Uh -huh. Anyway, that's so ironic. The that pilot, that flight was on. They went to London. No, we went to Paris. But that was weird. But it was in the late 1990s. Anyway, uh, I hope you're fine. I enjoy your show. That okay, is so thanks very ironic. much. Okay, bye. Okay, so uh, we're going to check CTV News. And after that, we'll be back because I want to talk about the man who, to whom they quote, there's uh, someone born every minute uh, who falls into the uh, category of, uh, oh, how should I say it without giving away the story uh, too much? Uh, oh, all right, I'll give it away. Uh, the quote is, uh, somewhere every minute of the day, uh, there is uh, somebody who is born who can easily be taken in by uh, a hoax or a fraud. We'll talk about the exact claim when we come back. Uh, you're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, we are back. I, I tried to tantalize you about the mystery that I was going to talk about with that quote because I thought that if I gave you the exact quote, it would give away the story that I wanted to talk about. But I guess I'll give it to you right now. That quote was by uh, P.D. Barnum. There's a sucker born every minute, but the fact is there's no evidence that he ever said that even though this is the quote for which he became famous. But the greatest showman, as he is also known, uh, is not likely to have ever uttered such a thing. Why not? Because he didn't think of the visitors who came to his Barnum's American Museum, uh, who wanted to see the curiosities that were on display, he did not think of them as suckers. 
Oh, they may have been invited there by some sort of humbug. And uh, Barnum, of course, was the master of humbug. But he insisted that although they may have been somewhat, you know, hoaxed into coming there, they sure got their money's worth of entertainment. So visitors may have been attracted by this giant picture of the Fiji mermaid that adorned the front of his museum in New York City. Huge museum. Uh, and they got inside and, uh, you know, instead of seeing a mermaid, what they saw was the skull of a monkey cleverly attached to the skeleton of a fish. However, even those who recognized this as a hoax never complained. You know why? Because once inside, there were all kinds of exhibits that they enjoyed. There were live animals, some that they had never seen before, exotic animals. There was a flea circus. There were magic acts. There were demonstrations by glassblowers and ventriloquists, performances by Grizzly Adams as trained bears. People could have had their skulls examined by phrenologists, or they could have met General Tom Thumb, who stood all of 25 inches tall and had charmed Queen Victoria. Chang and Eng, the Siamese twins, were there, along with Josephine Clofulia, the bearded lady, who unfortunately had a genuine case of uh, hirsutism, that is excessive hair growth, uh, usually due to to, uh, hormonal uh, imbalance and overproduction of uh, male uh, hormones by the adrenal glands. You know what? Barnum did not mind that some of his exhibits aroused skepticism. Uh, Believe it or not, he welcomed it. Visitors' doubts fostered debates, and that resulted in more publicity and more ticket sales. When the bearded lady didn't generate quite the interest he had hoped for, you know what Barnum did? He hired a man to sue him for false advertising, claiming that uh, the bearded lady, Josephine, was really a man dressed up as a woman. The case did go to trial, and Barnum produced three physicians who had examined the lady and testified that she was indeed a woman. The press reported on the dismissal of the lawsuit, and visitors then surged through the turnstiles to meet the authenticated bearded lady. None thought of themselves as suckers, except perhaps those who had been taken in by signs indicating this way to the egress and found themselves outside. Barnum was concerned about people lingering too long at the exhibits, and he took advantage of some not recognizing that egress was just another term for exit. Uh, Known as the Prince of Humbug, uh, Barnard's uh, Uh, Barnum's uh, rise to fame had kind of an unsavory path. Why do I say that? Well, it began when at the age of 25, he heard about a traveling act, and uh, this was in in Philadelphia, and this act featured uh, an elderly African-American woman who was toothless and blind, semi-paralyzed, and uh, she was being passed off as being 161 years old and having been the nursemaid for George Washington. Well, Barnum probably did not believe this, but he he knew publicity. So he paid a lot of money to buy this traveling act. 
And indeed, it turned out to be extremely successful for him. Uh, Zip the pinhead with his tapering cranium was another one of Barnum's sideshow displays. He was supposed to be the missing link discovered in Africa. Uh, again, this was an African-American man who was well-paid, and he was a big attraction at the museum where he was dressed in a furry suit, and he rattled the bars of his cage as yell at passers-by. But uh, later in his life, Barnum became a politician. <clears throat> he was even mayor of a town in New England, and he, he, he was a member of legislature, and he expressed regret over his abuse of both Heth and Johnson uh, uh, Heth was uh, Joyce Heth, the, the uh, lady who had been passed off as a nursemaid. And uh, he, he became a very vocal opponent of, of slavery. And indeed, Heth had been uh, a slave previously in, in Kentucky. But uh, Barnum uh, knew publicity. And uh, he even had, uh, believe it or not, a public autopsy of Joyce Heth when she died. Uh, which was supposed to prove that she really was 161 years old. Of course, she wasn't, and the doctor who had been paid to perform the autopsy uh, said that you know she probably wasn't more than in her 80s. It really didn't matter because he, what he got was the publicity that he was he was after. <clears throat> However, I also want to tell you that Barnum had a very positive side, although a lot of people you know have focused on his sordid history as as, as a showman. But in fact, in 1865, he wrote a book, Humbugs of the World. And it's a classic in which he skewers hoaxers of all sorts and exposes the antics of fake mediums. And this was about 50 years before Houdini did the same kind of thing uh, about, uh, you know, revealing what was happening at seances and all the scams. Barnum even offered the reward to any medium who could prove an ability to communicate with the dead. Obviously, he never had to come up with, with the money. Uh, and uh, this was the same kind of thing that Houdini did much, much later. He offered a prize of $10,000, uh, but that was 50 years later. And uh, Barnum also condemned merchants who adulterated food, which was a common practice at the time. He revealed how milk often had a com component that came from what he called a cow with a wooden tail. You know what that was? That was a reference to the handle of a water pump because very often milk was adulterated with water. He also described how coffee was adulterated with chicory root and dark tea was converted to the more prized green variety with Prussian blue. He advised people to stay away from processed foods long before this became fashionable, saying that, quote, you can't adulterate an egg nor an apple or a potato. But the most vicious attacks Barnum reserved for the medical quacks, such as a Dr. Andrews, whose hashish candy was, quote, a sure cure for all diseases of the liver, stomach, and brain. Barnum dismissed these as odious deceptions. And interestingly enough, he also invoked the notion of the placebo effect. He actually used that term. In 1865, he used the term placebo effect. So while P.T. Barnum's reputation as a scoundrel who swindled people with hoaxes does have some merit, but curiously, he was also a champion of critical thinking. He railed against what he called the bladderskites, 
people who talk but makes all sense. And he proposed, quote, it is high time that the credulous portion of our community should be saved from deceptions, delusions, and swindles of blasphemous mountebanks. Gee, I think we need to conjure up the spirit of uh, P.T. Barnum, because goodness knows there are enough uh, promoters today of various deceptions, delusions, and, and swindles. So interestingly enough, P.T. Barnum was indeed a showman. He uh, admitted to hoaxes, but he said his hoaxes were innocent because they just invited people to his demonstrations and displays, and they got their money's worth. Well, there was some truth to that, but I think his uh, his stories about the uh, African American lady <laughs> said to be 161 years old, and the nursemaid of George Washington, and the story about Zip the Pinhead uh, leave kind of a bad taste in in one's mouth. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We are born to do science. A baby can do it and so can you. We are born to do science. Just figuring out what's true. All right, let's see if we can figure out what's true for Doris. Hi, Doris. Hi, Doris. I trust you the most. I have MS, and once I saw on the TV from Pfizer saying that people with neurological problem and allergic not to take it. What is up now? I know they need data all the time. Okay, the only the only recommendation that they have made is that anyone who has been prescribed an EpiPen, that is, they have a severe allergy to something for which they have been prescribed an EpiPen, yeah. they have to consult a doctor before getting the vaccine. But, but they mention I, also neurological problem and allergy. It was on the underline of the news. Pfizer recommends, it was before it started uh, the vaccine, when they were talking about this one, this one, this one, and it was clearly written neurological and i also saw something from geneva okay i'm sure I, i'm sure that what you're referring to is the possibility of something called guillain barre syndrome which is a neurological problem that can occur with any vaccine it is uh -huh. a very very rare thing very rare it can happen with any any vaccine and so far uh of course the side effects of uh, uh, this vaccine have been very, very carefully followed, both uh, in the U.S. by FDA and here by Health Canada. And in fact, uh, the number of allergic reactions is uh, uh, in exactly the same range as one would expect with any other vaccine. So there, and certainly there has not been a, a, any noted uh, Guillain-Barre. Mm -hmm. They so, never uh, mentioned you know, nothing I'm not about sure MS. what you saw, but, but I, uh, all I can tell you is that experts look at all of these things and uh, the benefits of the vaccine greatly outweigh any kind of, uh, of risk. Okay. Anyway, thanks very much for that. Uh, let me just uh, tell you what I think is an interesting story. About one time in parts of Scandinavia and Germany, 
butchers being prohibited from hanging slaughtered hares and rabbits in their windows. Why would this be? Well, many people believed in the superstition that a pregnant woman looking upon a slaughtered animal would cause her baby to be born with a cleft palate. It is difficult to know how the superstitions get started, but they can usually be traced to the human desire to find causes for the calamities that befall us. When there is no ready scientific explanation, one will be invented. That is why the Black Plague was blamed on witches and Jews, the waxy pallor of tuberculosis on vampires, and migraines on the evil eye. People have a need to find cause and effect relationships even where they do not exist. Today, instead of witches and evil eyes, chemicals are blamed for ailments. Someone who develops a headache and remembers using a fabric softener sheet may look on it as the culprit because they've seen such, such connections on the internet. Others may blame cleaning agents, pesticides, cookware, microwave ovens, antiperspirants, or cell phones for their medical problems. Or maybe their difficulties are caused by aliens who performed experiments on them before wiping out their memories of having been kidnapped. There's no more evidence for most of these perceived connections than there is for the one between cleft palates and butchered animals. We still don't really know what causes the upper lip and palate to not close completely in about one in 700 births. There certainly is a genetic component, but environmental factors come into play as well. Alcohol intake during pregnancy, as well as the use of dextromethorphan, a cough suppressant, have been implicated. Seizure medications, isotretinoin for acne, excessive intake of vitamin A, certain herbal remedies, pesticides, lack of folic acid, smoking during pregnancy have all been suggested as playing a role in cleft palate. The only effective treatment is surgery. Cleft palate is also called hair lip because of the similarity of the condition to the upper lip of a hair. This probably is what gave rise to the superstition about gazing on a butchered animal and why butchers had to keep their hair from being openly displayed. So I thought that this was an interesting uh, little reflection on history and how some things change, but uh, some things unfortunately do not. Uh, let me just go to uh, text messages to see what uh, uh, we have there. Um, yeah, the Iceland question, the name of the volcano nobody can pronounce, so I won't, uh, I won't try to uh, do that. Uh, someone wants to know about any information for people with Botox and fillers, uh, if there's any uh, connection to, to the vaccine. I have never heard of any, any such connection. I mean, uh, there's no reason to think that having had uh, Botox and uh, fillers in any way is connected to the uh, COVID uh, vaccines. Uh, so I don't know where uh, where on earth uh, that may uh, come from. Uh, all right, getting back to the the other question that uh, that I asked, uh, don't seem to have an answer to that, and that was about uh, what things that Aristotle and Hippocrates had uh, had suggested, and uh, why uh, why they suggested such things uh, about uh, uh, putting uh, goats uh, goat uh, extracts on 
on parts of the body and uh, you know what was uh, going on with that uh, i don't see anyone having uh, uh, given me an answer uh, to that one uh, so maybe we'll have to leave that uh, next week uh, about the kind of things that uh, aristotle and hippocrates did so i'll leave the question with you aristotle used goat urine and hippocrates recommended pigeon droppings and the question was uh for for what uh, I, I was talking before about pt bardem who really was a, a fascinating fascinating character and of course there's much much more to the story than uh, what i told you and uh, interestingly enough his book uh, about uh, uh, humbugs in the world written in eight in the 1800s is available for free on the internet uh, I, I guess nobody has the rights to that book so you can read it for free and i would really recommend that you do this because that book is as topical today uh, as ever uh, his attack on the on the quacks on the hoaxers on the fake mediums on the spiritualists uh, this is something that can be done today. And he would have had a field day with the people who are making all of these uh, recommendations about uh, you know, the silly treatments of, of COVID-19. Humbugs of the world is what it is called. And if you just put that into Google, it will come up. I can tell you it's going to make for very, very interesting uh, reading. I mean, he was really just a fascinating man. You know that, uh, I mean, obviously he was a publicity hound. He at one time offered $5,000 to be the first person to send a telegraph when the Atlantic cable was, uh, was put down. 5,000 uh, pounds sterling is actually what he offered. That was an awful lot of money in those days. Well, his challenge was not taken up uh, uh, this. And the very first message on the transatlantic cable was actually by uh, Queen Victoria to President James Buchanan of the U.S., Big Buck, as he was called. And uh, so uh, uh, Barnum never got to, <laughs> to pay the 5,000 uh, sterling to get his message. But by talking about the fact that he had made this offer, he got a great deal of publicity. And more and more people flocked to his museum in New York, and of course later to his uh, circuses. He was the founder of the Barnum and Bailey Circus, which later merged with the Ringling Brothers uh, Circus. And uh, uh, if, of course, you want to know more about uh, Barnum, you can always watch The Greatest Showman, which was a musical version of the Barnum story, although it painted him, I think, in a much more positive light than, uh, than real life would, uh, uh, would depict. And uh, there have been a number of, of Broadway shows also uh, about Barnum. In fact, one was called Barnum. It starred Jim Dale. Uh, and Michael Crawford uh, also uh, starred in a version of that show. There have been a number of movies, but I would urge you to read the book uh, written in the 1800s by P.T. Barnum about the humbugs of the world and see how topical it is. All right, that's it. We have run smack out of time. You've been listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week.